Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Um, you know, one of the things I wondered when you're, you're talking about, you know, screw stuff going on in the world, hasn't it always sort of been going on? It's just that we're more aware of it now. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, with the... Yeah. To a certain extent. We're seeing more of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it says wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, we got that. Pestilences. Yeah, we know what that's about now. Read the Old Testament. You know. Goodness. Yeah. We're not getting any better. Yeah, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. You know. And of course, there's that branch of Christianity that says we're going to take over the world for Jesus. And I like to know what they're smoking and can I have some of it? Because it, you look at the world today and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. It gets worse and worse. worse. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Everywhere in the world. You know, wars, rumors of wars. You know, back in those days, you didn't have satellite. You didn't know if the army was coming until they showed up at your door. You know. Um. Yeah. been 30 years. It's a perspective. I mean, I remember, I think MacArthur was talking to Georgie Vance, who was a pastor from Russia, you know, under the persecution. And uh, he asked him, he said, you know, I don't know how you guys do it over there with your persecution. He said, oh, we got it easy. I don't know how you do it in America. Because over there, we know who the Christians are. 
Over here, you have no idea who the Christians are because it doesn't cost you anything. You know, you could claim to be a Christian. Nobody cares. Over there, if you're a Christian, it's going to cost you. We know who the Christian, who the real people are, you know, because you're not going to claim it unless you've, you know. But yeah, you're right. It's all a perspective. That point. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the difficulties I see on Facebook is I have some a lot of Christian contacts that I don't know. They're really they're very politically active on the Facebook site, you know. And it's like that's really not where we should be focusing our attention. Actually, I mean, okay. I believe in the Second Amendment, but I'm not going to go on Facebook and proclaim that and approach that and make it a Christian virtue. That's stupid. I mean, that's not what I'm here for, right? Um, I, I want to keep that separate, you know. And I see a lot of mixing of, you know, like like you know, how can you be a Christian and of this political party or that political party? Look, don't go there. Just stop. Stop. Be a Christian. Just be a Christian. That's all. Just, just do that, and don't bring this other stuff into it, because it muddies the message. After a piece came out that night, and there were several things on the internet about rape, the mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, but one of them was quite intensely. Uh, the organization was supporting a young family in the area, and it was one of the gentlemen, I can't remember, but all the adults left as believers was Emmanuel. And I thought, what, what is it going to take for us to recognize that's the foundational relationship in our faith? And are we too going to have to go through the trauma and the destruction? I mean, this, it was a statement in the context of desperation, yes. Yeah. But in reality, you know, we get all caught up with politics and stuff. And, and I'm not saying that there isn't a place for 
Yeah. And I just would say that that is the comfort that they have mm -hmm. in this church. They don't feel freedom and safety in no. the way we feel. No. It's really, really important. It was interesting. I, I remember um, a lot, sort of along those lines, but parallel to it, I remember John MacArthur saying how he went to um, Russia and he was preaching to a big pastors, 3,000 pastors there um, in Russia. And, um, you know, he's doing theology and they kept asking, well, when are you going to get to the good stuff? You know, and it's like, what do you mean the good stuff? Well, when you get to the good stuff, when you get to the book of Revelation, that's the good stuff, you know? And he was thinking, like, boy, you know, I hope I don't step in it here, you know, because I'm going to, you know, give him my understanding of the end times, and I hope I don't mess things up, you know. He was thinking, and so he said, okay, I'll tell you what, tomorrow we'll come back, and I'll just do the whole day on prophecy. So he did, and he said, he was a little worried about it, you know, but it was interesting because they came up after they said, wow, you believe exactly what we do. And he said, well, where'd you get that? I said, well, we got it from the book of Revelation, you know. It's going to get worse, and, you know, this is going to happen, and Jesus is going to return, and he's going to establish the kingdom. And it's like they got, they got it figured out. That most of the theologians I know haven't got that figured out yet. At least they got it figured out. All they had was the book of Revelation, and all they had to do was read the Bible, and they got, I think, the right answer. It's there. It's not going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. What makes us think we're going to turn this country around and make it into a Christian country? You know, we're the bigoted folks now. We're the misogynists, we're the homophobics, we're the whatever. Give, add a label. Come up with a new one, I guess. We will. You know, and uh, if you don't fall into with us, you know, we'll just cancel you. And we don't want to listen to you. And now we want to um, pass laws that make it illegal to tell somebody they're a Christian or they're a, they're a sinner. That's going to help them. But you know what? Christ said it was going to happen. Why are we surprised by it? You know, and it's interesting, Paul never said, Lord, stop the persecution. He said, help us to know how to deal with it. Right? He didn't say deliver us from persecution. But help us through it. So anyways, something to think about. We got a screwy world and it's not going to get any better. Which is why I don't watch news anymore. I sleep better at night. I don't need to listen to somebody bloviate for 12 hours straight saying the same thing over and over and over again. Romans 5 1 through 11 is where we're at today. Let's get to the word. Let's get to good stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. All right. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Um, Romans 5 starts another sort of subsection of the book of Romans. So far what Paul has done is he's shown the state of mankind. What's the state of mankind? How do we stand before God? We're sinners. You're condemned. And uh, there's no lawyers to get you out of this jam. 
You're not going to get any evidence thrown out of God's court. There's no Miranda rights there. He's got the, he's got the goods on you. And when you stand before God as a sinner, there is no excuse. It's all recorded. It's all there for everybody to see. We're all sinners. We're all condemned. It doesn't matter whether you're from the jungles of the wilds or whether you're from the Harvard elite or whether you're a religious Jew or whatever. We're all condemned before God. And then Paul says, yeah, but God's made a way out. What's that way out? Salvation by faith in Christ. Why did he do it that way? So no one can get to heaven and say, what did you do to get here? I don't want to spend all of eternity comparing myself to other people where they're bragging about how they got there, how much they served Christ, what, they, what it cost them to be a Christian. And I don't need anybody to say, well, I bought my way in, I purchased my way in, I was smart, I was this, I was that. No. The, someone said the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. There's no... It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what gender, what nationality, what race, what ethnicity, there's only one human race. But what ethnicity you are, not, nobody cares. There's only one question, what is your relationship to Christ? And how do you get that? By faith. And then Paul says, here's proof of that. You say that Abraham was justified by works. Let me tell you what about Abraham. While he was justified before the law came, right? 430 years. He was justified 13 years before he was circumcised, so that has nothing to do with it. And he was justified before he was a Jew, because there weren't any Jews. So Paul just kicked all three of those arguments out the window. The Jewish person would say, I'm okay before God because I'm a Jew, I'm circumcised, and I got the law. Paul says, well, Abraham was justified long before he had any three of those. David, he was said, blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. What do you mean by that? Well, was there a sacrifice for adultery and murder? Yeah, your life. There was no sacrifice. You cannot go down to the temple and offer up a bowl to take care of that sin. God forgave him. It was by grace. And Paul has just shown that we're all sinners before God. The only way back is by faith. Faith in what Christ did. It's belief. I've proved that Abraham and David fell into that. So if you're justified, what does that look like? What's the results of justification? And that's what he's going to get at here. Now that you have been justified, assuming you've been justified, he's assuming that with his readers. Now that you are justified, now that you are declared righteous before God, what does that look like? What does that mean? And that's where he starts. Therefore, since we have been justified, being in a state of justification, it's a, it's a participle in the Greek. It just means that something was done. Being justified, you are in a state now of having been acquitted. Before the throne of God, before the bar of God, in the legal courts of heaven, the gavels come down and say, acquitted. Now what? Now that you've been justified, now that you've been acquitted, what now? Well, we have peace. By the way, how did that acquittal come about? Verse 1. How are we acquitted? Yep. Justified by what? Faith. What's faith? Faith is just believing what God said, right? We make faith out to be this bizarre thing. All it is is just believing what God said. 
God says you're a sinner. I believe that. God says you're guilty. I believe that. God says you're under my judgment. I believe that. God says if you ask me to forgive you, I will. I believe that. And it's not just a belief in that, right? That's the head. The angels, or the devils believe, right? But they don't do anything about it. It's not just believing it. You've got to do something about it. You put your faith in Christ. And if you are, you've been justified by faith, what is it? You have peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? What do you think that means? It's salvation. But what does that imply? If I have peace with somebody, what does it imply I didn't have before? I didn't have peace before. He gets a silver gold star. I don't have. Yeah, if if I if I have peace now, that means there was a state in which I did not have peace. All right, God was at war, and you know, you talked about some people say, well, you know, I don't have anything against God. I sort of like Him actually. That's not the point. God's at war with you. God's at war with the sinner. God's at war with your sin, your vileness. It's not you. It's not like, well, I'm okay with God. You know, I remember the line out of Crocodile Dundee, you know, me and God are mates. No, you're not. Me and God are mates. That's what Crocodile Dundee said. No, you and God aren't mates. Outside of Christ, you and God aren't mates. God is your enemy. And by the way, we're enemies of God, right? We're going to find that out later on in Romans 8. Your flesh is an enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It can't be. You, in your flesh, you hate God. You're, you know, the, the person who's in the flesh hates God. There's a war there. There's a war going on. But if I've been justified before God, what happens? That state of war has now been removed. I'm no longer at war with God. God's not at war with me. This is from mainly from his perspective. He's not at war with me anymore. Why? Because I've been justified. I've been acquitted before the bar of God. I have peace. And it's what, what, the idea there, currently at this present time, right now, I have peace with God. God's not my enemy anymore. I'm not his enemy anymore. Peace is the, means the war is over. How do I get that? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. On what basis has my peace been purchased by the blood of Christ, by Him? He's made it possible. And again, the top two questions we need to ask ourselves and get right. Who is Jesus and what did He do? And you got to get the right answer to both of those. You can get the right Jesus and mess up on what he did. You got to get the right answer to both of those. He took our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. We're going to find that later on here. Through him, we have obtained access. That's a fascinating concept here. Something we don't really relate to in our world. The idea of we have obtained is a, in a verb tense that says we have it and we continue to have it now. It's something 
that I got and I continue to have it even at this present time. And what is it? It's access. That's a really fascinating word. It means, it, it was referred, it was used to refer to someone who had access to the king. All right? Who had, who had the ability to go into the presence of the king. We have access. If I were to get in my car and drive to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and knock on the door, what's the chances of me getting in? Slim to none and none and slim left town, right? I wouldn't even get to knock on the door. All right. Why? I don't have access. I don't have access. But pretending I was the pre uh, vice president of the United States, would I have access? Right. The idea here, prosagoge, was used to refer to access to a king, access to a ruler. You see a little bit of this in the book of Esther, right? If you go into the presence of the king uninvited, what happened to you? It was a very bad day. Right? She was afraid for her life. Okay? You just didn't walk into the presence of the king and say, hey, what's up? What has Christ given me? What has he provided for us? He's broken down the wall of partition. By the way, that is referring to the wall in the temple between the, the um, court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. We have access to God, but not only that, we have access into what? The very... Now, how many people got to go into that once a year? And if you messed it up, it was a bad day for you. It was a bad day for you. It was so such that they would tie a rope around your ankle just in case they had to drag your dead body out. We have access. Do you, do you, I want... Think about that for a minute. The creator of the universe who stepped out and said, let there be and there was, created everything. At any point of the day, at any time of the day, at any hour of the day, I can walk right into his presence and talk to him. That's not because I'm an important person. What did Christ give me? Access. Not only is the war over, but I can walk into his presence now. Through the Holy Spirit, through, the Holy Spirit, through Christ. Through, well, the, I, I come in, the, by, we have access by the Spirit into the Father, but how was that access granted? The door was unlocked and open because Christ paid the penalty. I have access now. I'm with him. That blows my mind. Just sit there and think about that this afternoon. Turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off everything. Just think, I can right now walk into God's presence and I'm not going to be blasted into non-existence. In fact, I'm welcome. It's not because I'm a good person. 
because Christ paid the penalty. He made the way open for me. I now have access to God. I can come. And that's, by the way, what the writer of um, Hebrews is saying. We, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. The idea of boldly there, when we think of boldly, we think of brashness. That's not the, the really the idea there. In fact, this word shows up here later on in the text. It has to do with confidence, openness. I don't have to be afraid. I can come into God's presence because I have access. I'm part of his family now. I have access into this grace in which we stand. We have grace. We're standing in grace. And that's a perfect tense, which means I got to stand and I'm still standing and it's a state of standing in grace. It's not that I'm going to get kicked out of this. We have the idea, well, if I screw this up really bad, I'm, I'm toast. No. I stand in a state of grace before God. That is my standing. That is my existence. Riches at Christ's expense. We get it all, but we stand there. Mm -hmm. It's a continuous state, a state of being, think of it. it. We don't have a really good translation of the perfect tense in English. All right? it's, it really first it's something that's happened in the past with continuing results. You kind of call it a state of being. Um, and the stand here um, comes from the word histamine. And it's sort of, there's two kinds of going into grammar, English grammar. You've got verbs of action and verbs of state. State of verbs, you know what I mean? Like to be. That's a state. That's, you're, not, you're not doing anything. It's just, that's a state of being. Okay. Then you've got I hit. That's that's a state of action, uh, verb of action, a verb of a state, state of verb. I don't. I kind of call it state of verb or something like that. I'm 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 in the state of grace. I stand in grace. That's my mode of existence, and I stand there. I have the ability to continue to stand, and I'm not going to be thrown out of it. I'm not going to lose it. Think about that. The war with God is over. I have access to God. And I'm in a state of being whereby it's not going to be fouled up. Wow. I'm not going to lose it. It's not that I got it and then, if, no, listen, if you don't mind your P's and Q's, you're out. If you don't do the right thing, you're toast. No, it's a state of being. I have peace with God. The war is over. I have access, and I stand in a state of grace before him. And again, what is grace? Undeserved, unmerited favor before God. Don't ever think that God owes you grace. I've talked to people who have this idea that somehow God owes them things. And it's like, no, God doesn't. 
I remember talking to a Mormon who basically says, you know, we need to merit, we need to deserve to be in God's presence. Like, okay, that means you don't belong in his presence because you think it's something you deserve. If the, the, the more you think you deserve to be in grace, the less, li less likely you are to have it. You don't deserve it. That's the whole point. How do you get it? By faith in Christ. It's not because of anything you did. But I stand in a state of grace and, and favor before God. That's the I, favor. Think about that. It's not that God just says, all right, Schaefer, you can stand over there for crying out loud. You know, I got to put up with you. You know? No, I'm in a state of favor before God. That's, that's different, right? There are some people you tolerate in your life because you have to. There are other people that are in a state of favor. You want them there. You enjoy them there. You, you want them to be there. That's what we see here. We're in a state of favor before God. And, and we rejoice in this. That, by the way, the rejoice there is the same word as boasting. It's not that if I'm boasting of it, I'm rejoicing. It's, isn't this great? I don't deserve to be here, but this is awesome. By the grace of God, I stand there and I rejoice in hope. What is hope? It's a present certainty of a future reality. you got to think about that. It's a present certainty of a future reality. Because I have this, someday I get it all. Now you look in the mirror and say, well, I don't feel like I'm really in a state of grace right now. Life sort of is pretty rough on me. Well, what's going to happen someday? You're going to be in God's presence, right? And I remember that old song, you know, all the trials of life will be a distant, fading memory very quickly when you step into glory. All the garbage, all the stuff, all the fights, all the problems you've had in life will be gone. One glimpse of his dear face, life's trials will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Think about that. One glimpse of his face all the trials of life. I have hope. I have, I, I, I have assurance that this is all going to come true someday. Why is that? Because Christ paid it all. I mean, understand, this is an irreversible state of grace now. I stand in it. It's not going to be reversed. God's not going to change his mind about this. And not only that, but we rejoice in our, what? Sufferings. Thlipsis, squeezing, refers to squeezing grapes. What do you, when you squeeze grapes, what happens? Juice. When you squeeze a Christian, what should come out? Grace. You rejoice in our sufferings. Here's the thing about the New Testament. The New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament does it say, pray that God would get you out of your jam. Paul never asked the churches to pray that, they, that things would go well for him. 
He never gets on in one of his many prayers for the church and say, I'm going to pray that, you know, your economic condition will turn around. What does he pray for? That they would exhibit Christ's likeness in whatever situation they're in. Philippians, Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. By the way, that's something you learn, isn't it? Does it come natural? You know, our problem is when we have it so good, we don't, we lose perspective of what really is important. What really is important. And sometimes when trials come along, what it does, if anything, is it reduces your focus to what's really important. What's really you need to pay attention to. Look at our country now. Our country's divided right now. But let's say we had a, a common enemy that's come in and take and destroy our country. What would happen? What would happen to all of our little inter-party squabbles? What would happen? The same thing that happened when such events as 9-11. The same thing that happened whenever we've been hit from the outside. Yeah. We coalesce. Why? Because there's something bigger out there than our little petty squabble. There's a bigger enemy. There's a bigger threat. There's a bigger problem. Yeah. Sometimes God brings trials along just to make you realize, hey, are you really focused on me? That doesn't mean we like trials, right? Nobody likes a trial. But we rejoice in our trials. How can you rejoice in your sufferings? How can you rejoice when life squeezes you? What enables you to do that? And it's not medication. Faith in what? And hope, right? <clears throat> Someday it won't matter. Someday the trial I go through is I have hope. I remember when Donna passed away, one of the things I had was hope. Hope, I'll see her again someday. By the way, that helped a lot. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt, but I mean, it's just like, I'll see her again someday. We have hope. And because of that, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. Perseverance. That means to bear up under a load. To remain under a load. To remain under, really the Greek word is, to remain under, to bear up under a load. What enables you to bear up under a load? Faith in Christ. And that will be taken care of someday. Doesn't make it easy, does it? Doesn't mean you don't struggle, does it? But there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's coming a day when it'll be all right. And what enable 
You ever see the people that are the most gracious, loving, kind people? What usually do they have in their life somewhere along the line? See, What's that? Suffering. suffering. A great tragedy. It makes them, it, it, it's, how do you get, how do you, you know, we want to pray, you know, Lord, I want to be close to you. And God says, okay, I'll send some trials and that way it'll push you a little closer to me. Wait a minute, we don't want the trial. Take them away. What in what here's what gave Christ a name that is above every other name? What was the road to that for him? What? The cross. What enabled him to do that? To to have that name? Because he endured the cross. He went through the trial, he went through the trouble. When you go through a trial and you come out the other side and say, you know, the only way I survived that is God was with me. That helps you. You know, I've had people ask me, you know, said, Alan, you know, you seem to be okay with, you know, you lost Donna. You know, you seem to be all right. Well, I didn't like it, but... I will tell you this, God sustained me. And I want, I want to say that publicly. God sustained me and gave me a perspective through that. And when I look back on that, if someone asked me, how do you know you're a Christian? It says, because I didn't go bananas when Donna died. God sustained me through that. God lifted me up. He helped me. He brought me through that and gave me a different perspective. Don't like it, right? Hey, let's go get let's go suffer now. You know, that's not we're not looking for that, but Paul is saying here, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because they produce patient endurance. And then it says, when that has, has made its product, when that um, has its way, what does that produce in us? Character. Dakima. Proven character. It's the idea of proving something. How do you know something's work? You know, I, I got to test this gold. Is it really gold? You got to test it, right? To prove it. You know, I, I look at some of these engineering, you know, we got this steel beam. How much weight can it? Well, we get, we're going to test it. We're going to put it under a load and see how much load it takes. We got to prove that it can... It can do what it needs to do. We've got to prove this material. Here's what I think Paul's getting at to an extent. What is one of the ways you know you are a Christian? What is one way you can know you are a Christian? Yeah. Because God brings you through the trial. It gives you proven character. Does God need to know your character necessarily? Does he know your character, by the way? Yeah, God knows it. Do you know it? Do you know it? I remember many years ago thinking, you know, 
Would I be able to handle something like if something happened to Don or some tragedy in my life? Would I be able to handle it? Would I be able to go through it? And I wondered about that. And then I went through it and found out, by the grace of God, I can. Doesn't make it fun, but God sustained me through that. And that gave me a glimpse into his character. When you look at Job, why, did, why do we have book number 66 in our Bible, the book of Job? What's, what's, the, what's that whole deal about? Well, God has a, Satan has a challenge to God, right? Check out my servant Job, look at him. Yeah, yeah, you gave him everything, of course he's going to love you. Well, take it away then, let's see what happens. Well, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah, you know, but, you know, he's got health now. Well, I'll tell you what, you can't kill him, but you can do anything else. Now, how bad would that be? Probably more bad than we would think. And yet, Job did not waver. What's God doing there? God is showing that by bearing up under the load, you bring glory to God. He sustains you. See, there's the point. God sustains you. You don't sustain you. See, that was the Peter problem, right? I won't deny you. These other jokers, I mean, other disciples will, but I won't do it. Christ said, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. You know, by the time 6 o'clock in the morning rolls around, you're going to do it three times. Beware lest any man thinks he standeth, take heed lest he... Well, what enables you to face the trials? What, what is one of the results of being justified? God gives us the grace. We stand in grace. We have his power, and we can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produces endurance, and that's going to prove our character. It's going to reveal who we are. Before Abraham offered sacrifice, did you know he was a man of faith? Well, sort of, right? But when he offered sacrifice, what do you say? By gosh, I guess he is a man of faith. It proved it. It, it, it proved the character. And that's, that's what Christ is, or Paul's getting here. This, these trials produce in you a proven character to you that you're the genuine article. I take comfort in that. I mean, you know, with the with you know, I talk about the you know loss of Donna. One of the things that that showed me is that God is faithful. Why? Because He kept me. I bore up under that load, and He proved Himself faithful. And I look at my life, and say, you know, I passed the test. You see other people go through that and they go to pieces and they abandon God and they're off wherever, you know. Well, that shows that they weren't possibly really a believer, right? Is it, is it easy to be a believer when everything's going your way? Yeah, see, that's what the happy clappies on TVN tell you, you know. Come to Jesus and your life will be good. All your diseases will go away. You'll be a millionaire. But what happens when that doesn't happen? Well, you don't have enough faith. Meanwhile, they go back to their multi-million dollar houses and jets and everything else. No, that's not proven character. See, 
Proven character means if God, if God took away everything, would you still love him? Well, if you're a true believer, what would you say? Yes, because it's not you. It's God in you. And Paul is saying this is what it produces. And then it says here, <clears throat> and proven and character produces what? Hope. What is the idea of hope? Hope is, I bore up under this. That means I'm good. That means someday I'll be in God's presence. It, it, the salvation I have, the justification I have, is the real deal. It's not a fake. It's the real thing. Isn't that what Christ said? You know, you got, sir went out to sow seed and he threw it. Some fell on hard soil. What happened to that? Gone. Sometimes you share the gospel and just like bouncing BBs off a brick wall, just pinging it off there. Nothing happens. And then sometimes it falls on rocky soil. What happens? It springs up. When you get a bit of heat and a little bit of trouble, a little bit of trouble, trials, what happens? Dies. Some falls among the thorns. What happens to that? It gets choked out. Others fall on the good soil. Brings forth fruit. But here's the problem. What caused the seed on the rocky soil to wither? It had no root. It looked like the real deal. But it really wasn't. I've been a Christian long enough to see people come into the church. They look like they're Christians. They look like the real deal. I could give you some names of people. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. They look like the real deal. But then some tragedy comes along. Some trials come along. Some, some things don't work out the way they want them to. And what happens to them? They're gone. They're gone. They become bitter. They leave the church. They hate God. Their character's not proven. Now again, I don't have a copy of the Book of Life. I can't tell you if they're in or not. Don't, I'm not going to go there. I'm just saying generally, when a true believer faces trials, they endure. When a false believer faces trials, what usually happens? Fall away. There's no root. And if we were, why would people want to be a Christian? For that reason. For that reason. See, we're very selfish, right? Yeah. If the message of the health, wealth, prosperity boys is true, you're a nut if you're not a Christian. It's a good deal, right? That's not what God wants you to sign up for. God says, you know, are you going to sign? Do you want me if it costs you something? It's just an interesting thing of human nature. We value that for which we work for, right? Paul is saying, what separates these people? What gives us the assurance, the hope 
that we have that we are justified in a right standing before God because we endure trials, because they produce in us proven character, and that proven character produces in us a hope that is eternal. I think in our society we've got to this point that there's no, no such thing as a free lunch. Nothing's free, and so you can't yeah. fathom that it's a free gift that God has given us the opportunity. And the reason it's free is because it's cost so much that none of us could ever pay for it. If it's not free, we're all, we're all in trouble. That's the only way you can get it. And notice what it says here. And hope does not what? Put us to shame. The idea of shame there, disappointment, to, to disfigure, to disgrace, it does not disgrace us. It's, it's, it doesn't make us ashamed. The hope, the hope is a pure hope. Some even had the idea that it does not let us down. We're not let down. Why? Because God's love has been what? Poured out into our lives. Poured out. Now this, this, it, this word here, it's, it's, um, it's eke, eke, let's see what ekakutai. And it's made up of two words, ek and then kutai. And whenever you put a preposition on a Greek word, you intensify it, you make it even more. It's not like God just like, now yeah, we'll pour out a couple of drops. It's like he dumps, you know, I had that, was that ice bucket challenge? You know, he just dumps it on us. You know, it's not, it's not just a little dribble. It, he just dumps it on us. The, the love of God is dumped on, it's poured out in us. It's not a little dribble. It's not a sprinkle. He pours it out. And it's perfect, which means it's not only been poured out, it continues to be poured out in our lives. It's not something that happened, and once for all, you know, I got the ice bucket challenge. It's just I'm, I'm walking around with this stuff being poured on me all of the time. God's love is poured out. It, it's not, you know, it's not apportioned out. It's not, I want to think of the word there, it, he doesn't do it a little bit at a time. It's abundant. It's an abundant pouring out. It's poured out to us who's, by the Holy Spirit that's given to us. Because we have been justified, we have peace. The war's over. The guns are silent. And not only that, but now I have access into God I can go right into his presence at any time. And I'm standing in a state of grace where he actually wants me there. Do you understand that? God actually wants us in his presence. It's not that God taught, oh, you again. God wants us there. I have access to him. And the trials that I go through are producing in me proven character to me that I'm really justified. And that produces a hope that someday all of the promises that I have are going to be mine. I can bear up under things. Why? Because someday it'll be worth it all. When you see Jesus, it'll be worth it all. All the trials you go through, it'll be worth it all when we see Christ. And why is that? Because his love has been poured out in us. 
Yeah, he, he poured it out. He didn't ration it. Oh, you get a little cup, you get a little cup, you get a little bit. No, dunk. He's poured it out in us. And because of that, we can stand in his presence. Next week, we're going to talk about the wonder of this. Because Paul's going to go back and say, wait a minute. You realize just how gracious God is about this. You realize he did this when you were his what? Enemy. He didn't do this when you were his friend. He did this when you hated him. He loved you. Think of think of the ice bucket challenge, you know, where they get just like four hundred gallons of water on something and you're not and you just get poof, you know. It's poured out. It's not rationed a little bit at a time. God dumps it on us. Father, thank you for this day and thank you that you have justified us. Because of that, we have access to your throne room. We can come in there anytime. And the wonder of it is, Father, you actually want us to do that. You don't tolerate our presence. You look forward to it. Because we stand in grace. And by the way, Father, it's not because we did anything. It's, because, it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it because you've been gracious to give it to us. We thank you for your Son who died to redeem us to make this way possible. And for your Holy Spirit that gives us that connection and pours out his love in our hearts. Again, thank you for this day and for this section of Scripture and for the worship to come in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.